So this morning's scripture reading is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 29. You can find this on page 751 if you're using one of the Bibles that we have provided in the pews in front of you. Again, John 20, beginning in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my Lord and my God and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of God. Profound. <laughs> Hello, friends, and welcome to the Augusta National Golf Course, home of the Augusta sorry, the Masters Golf Tournament. Every April growing up, I'd hear those melodious words and dulcetous tones, and I'd know that I was about to see the greatest golfers in the world play on the most magnificent golf course in the world. Not in person, sadly, but on television. Augusta National, if you don't know about this golf course, was built on a former tree and flower nursery. So, so all the colors, all the flowers, all the trees in Augusta National, all the more vibrant. The colors of azalea bushes, dogwoods, pine trees, cherry blossoms are, are all what I would imagine it's gonna be like in heaven one day. Which, even saying that out loud, I know it sounds borderline idolatrous. Like, I probably shouldn't worship it that much. But once you got high-def television, into going on in, in TV, you could see like every blade of green grass and the green was so vibrant. And this grass, you have not seen grass like this in Asheville. All right, I'm relatively new to Asheville, I'm pretty sure, except for maybe Biltmore Forest. There, that place is like a wooden Narnia back there and things grow that you wouldn't believe grow. But besides that, that's it. So whenever I'd hear about someone who got to actually see in person and attend, the Masters Tournament, I'd ask them all sorts of questions. But this, even this was incredibly rare. Entrance into the hallowed grounds 
of Augusta National is one of the hardest tickets in all of sports. And so when I saw people, I'd ask them, and I'd live vicariously through their experience. And when I heard about it, every blade of grass perfectly mown and grown, the colors are even more vibrant in person, and the hospitality of Augusta National, they want you to feel like it's your own backyard. And so if you go there, you're barely paying for an egg salad sandwich. It's a buck fifty. All right, if you get coffee, same price. The most expensive thing on their menu, because they want to so welcome you, is of course beer. And especially craft beer. It costs $5, I assume it's from Asheville. But how many of you guys, how many of you guys have, have bought beer at a sporting event and it cost you over $10? Raise your hand. Oh, sheepishly raise your hand because it's church. No one's gonna say about beer. Uh, there's a couple more went up. Thank you for your honesty. I do appreciate that. It's amazing, $5. So no one, very few of us, have ever experienced Augusta National like this. Well, my dad got the chance just a couple of weeks ago. I didn't realize until this last year, actually, that my, my family has connections to master's tickets through a close family friend, my dad being the friend to that friend. And so he went, he went, and you can, I can even prove it. I have the, uh, uh, a master's keychain lanyard. I can prove, you see it here, that, I, that he went to that. In fact, other than television, uh, multiple Google Earth searches, interrogating key witnesses, this, this lanyard is the only proof I have that Augusta is a real place. So I'm holding on to it. But to be honest, now that I know I have a connection uh, and that I can experience Augusta in all its glory in person, I want that. I want that for myself. Not just experience Augusta through other people or on TV, but in real life. Much like Thomas Old Doubting Thomas. Thomas in our own story. I want to go beyond mere belief based on the testimony of others and towards an experience, especially now that I know someone very closely who has experienced heaven on earth for themselves. I'm speaking still of Augusta National, sorry. Not the real heaven. You can see on my face, my facial intonations, you can hear it in my voice, there are a few emotions involved when it comes to Augusta. For my father, who can go whenever he wants. For me, who now has the potential for a more tangible master's experience, and maybe for you if you like golf, but you don't have a master's connection. Maybe you're a little bitter at me for just saying that, aren't you? I was condescending. Hold, maybe you're even bitter towards my dad. Hold on to that emotion, if you would, for a moment, because that emotions and emotions like that are gonna help us enter our story this morning. We have all felt similar emotions, if not with sports, the experience of being an insider, but not yet really feeling connected, even feeling distant from the action. Maybe you might be going to Disney World, but you also know someone who works there, and yet you don't get the fast pass to the rides, and you don't get the behind-the-scenes tour, even though your friend gave someone else those things. Or maybe when you walk into a small group or a Bible study at a church, you participate, you know the leaders, the other members, and yet the leaders, the other members, they, they open up their lives to one another in a way they don't seem to open up to you. And so you're there, you're participating, but you don't really feel a part of it. Our passage this morning illustrates three types of people who all experience a resurrected Jesus 
But each of them experiences him a little differently. Some experience Jesus more tangibly. Others, like Thomas, are yet pursuing those same types of experiences they can get for themselves. And finally, there is the briefest but most important line in our passage, which illustrates those who trust Jesus but have experienced him tangibly little. And now that may describe many, if not most of us this morning. Maybe you haven't experienced Jesus the way the disciples did in this passage this morning, or, or the way that other Christians around you seem to experience Jesus. And that's kind of caused you to drift away a bit, maybe even opt out of following Jesus. This gap separating very different experience of Jesus is one of the reasons we're doing this series called Unsubscribed. We recognize there's a sense that even though I'm technically included, my experience says otherwise. And my hope this morning is that we will see Jesus afresh through the way that he relates to the different experiences among his followers. And by seeing Jesus afresh, you might opt into following him again. So here we are, John chapter 20. Let me say this first. There are different kinds of passages in the Bible. Some instruct, some passages in the Bible evoke emotions in order to express them back to God. Some lead us into godly wisdom so we can live life a little better. Some, especially gospel stories, are, are designed for putting ourselves in the sandals of those who encounter Jesus. And we witness Jesus as he relates to them. So putting ourselves in their place, and this is such a passage, we are meant to, to see ourselves in the characters and consider how Jesus may also want to relate to us. So as we look at each type of person and their experience of Jesus in this passage, be asking yourself, how do I fit into this story? So first, we see those who've experienced Jesus most tangibly, and that would be the first people we encounter in our story, the disciples, verses 19 through 23. John delivers the understatement of the New Testament in verse 20, in my opinion. Remember, Jesus was dead. He's just appeared to them. And then you hear this. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, <laughs> in fairness, John has a lot, of, lot to write, and probably not a lot of parchment on which to write it, so he's got to hurry up here. So he gives, they were glad, most likely as a summary statement of the full range of gladness. Shouts, yelps, spontaneous dancing, probably impromptu singing. Jesus is alive. That the deep down pit of despair they felt in losing Jesus, all of a sudden, whoosh, wiped away by the presence of the resurrected Lord in their midst. So yeah, they were glad by his presence. And his presence wasn't enough. Jesus offers three additional blessings. He offers peace, he offers purpose, he offers power. It's amazing, the disciples re receive peace from Jesus. Twice he says to them, peace be with you. And for some of you that may sound like a, a token blessing from the priest of your childhood, right? Who on the way out the door said, peace be with you. And you're like, dude, I just wanna get the Krispy Kreme also with you, Father. All right, and, you, and you ran off. But for the disciples to hear Jesus say peace with, with you is much more than a cliche Christian blessing. Their last night with Jesus before he dies, Jesus shares with them some sobering words. This is from John 16. It'll be up on the screen. Jesus answered them, 
Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his home and you will leave me alone. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now, at this moment, none of them would ever fathom that they would have left Jesus. Surely, some of them probably even protested that they ever would. Peter certainly did. And yet, all of them deserted their closest friend in his darkest hour. And then having deserted him, he died. They didn't get to say, I'm sorry. They didn't get to say, I wish I would have been there. He died. Can you imagine the guilt that they felt? And we all can. Not just towards other people, but even towards God. The Bible says each of us has turned to his own way and so abandoned Jesus. But to those who trust him, Jesus forges peace between us and the Father. And sometimes he infuses a a spiritual peace into our lives also. Have you ever known followers of Jesus who are not only peace with God because of Christ, but are so filled with peace that virtually nothing can shake them, nothing can rattle them, despite the awful circumstances going on. They have this peace. Friends, not every Christian experiences this. Some do. Jesus also assigns to them a purpose to their lives. Look at verse 21 again. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. After the crucifixion, You know what the purpose was of the disciples? You know what the purpose they felt and lived out was? Hiding behind locked doors. (laughs) They were were fearful. Their purpose was latching the door because the same people who killed Jesus could easily take them out as well. But here comes their resurrected Lord, and he gives them purpose. He gives them direction. Some of you have found this. Some of you have found the purpose to your life. Perhaps it's teaching children with special needs or parenting them in a godly household or using your talents for numbers and projections to dismiss small businesses. Maybe it's just doing the thing you love growing up doing and you get to do it for a living all the while telling people around you about Jesus as we're all called to do. I rejoice with you, but not every Christian has found that hand-in-glove fit purpose for their life. Jesus also breathes power into their life. What an amazing verse right there in 22, right? That he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The good news is if you've trusted Jesus, you you get God the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you forever. And yet, some of you have experienced the Holy Spirit as if it was Jesus himself breathing the Holy Spirit on you. Maybe you've experienced just a contagious, unexplainable joy. Maybe you had this deep, almost trance-like connection with God when you worship him through song, and you get those little spiritual goosebumps on you when you raise your hands and you sing, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Maybe you sense God speaking to you or nudging you throughout your day as he leads you. Or you're keenly aware of the spiritual gifts God's given. You actually use them to serve others. Maybe you share things with people and you wonder if God's using it. It always seems to connect with their lives. Or maybe when you open this, the Bible, it immediately comes alive and makes sense to you. If this describes you, awesome. Maybe you've had some of these experiences, supernatural feelings of peace. 
a fit purpose to your life, an overwhelming sense of God's power? And if so, for now, I just want to praise God with you. Hallelujah. That is awesome. I also want to circle back to you because I believe God wants to challenge you this morning with something from our passage. But first, let's get to the next character in our story. And that's going to be those who yet pursue experiencing Jesus most tangibly. And that kind of Jesus follower is illustrated through Thomas. Thomas, infinite, you know, infamously dubbed Doubting Thomas, which I think is a bit of a bad rap for a couple reasons. Number one, first of all, we see in verse 24, Thomas was not with them. He wasn't with the disciples when they first saw Jesus. Notice the disciples were hiding behind the same locked door that, hi, that Thomas is hiding behind in verse 26. They were Thomas just eight days earlier. And that's the second thing. It had been eight days. Eight days later, we're told in verse 26, eight days of hearing about their experience with Jesus. So maybe in the second most understated verse in the Bible, verse 25, we're told, so the disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. <laughs> right? You think? You think that's the way they put it? We saw the Lord. Let's have dinner. I am sure, again, another summary statement. I'm sure they said more than that. They sat around meals talking about, you know, when Jesus spoke those words of peace, he seemed to be looking at me, right? Or, or they said to one another, it wasn't so great to hear Jesus speak purpose and direction into our lives. They probably walked around the table with a sense of confidence because the Holy Spirit had empowered them. Thomas longed for this kind of experience. He once told Jesus he was willing to die with him. And yet he too left Jesus alone in his darkest hour. So if anyone needed to hear Jesus speak peace, him speak purpose, him speak power into his life, it was Thomas. Instead, he just heard about it for eight straight days. Think back, if you would, to Augusta National. Think back to Disney World. Think back to walking into that Bible study or small group, having some access to it, but also feeling kind of left out. On the one hand, we want that experience. Like, we want it. We want what you've experienced. But simultaneously, we mask that with, you know what, though? Unless it happens to me, I won't believe it's that good. Isn't that interesting about the human heart? We want it, and yet when you share that with it, uh, I'm skeptical. Unless, unless it happens to me, don't think it's possibly that good or even real. Look at verse 25. So the disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. We've experienced the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails, place my finger to the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. There it is, right? Unless it happens to me. I remember fairly early in my relationship with Jesus, having friends in college share about their experience of the Holy Spirit in profound, powerful, even radical ways. And my heart felt the same tension that Thomas felt. I want that. I want that. In fact, in until though it happens to me, I'm not gonna believe it's possible. Or it can't possibly be that good, not what you're saying. I'll give you a specific instance. My good friend at the time, now wife, Katie, she would share with me about her experiences with the Holy Spirit and how God had even given her the specific spiritual gift to have those experiences. And 
I felt this kind of tension build up in me. And I remember this specific phone conversation during which I tried to convince her that her experience couldn't have been all that. In fact, I opened the Bible and read as to why that spiritual gift wasn't one of the gifts that should be specifically desired. And this was, this was almost devastating to our potential marriage. And, and I'm embarrassed, like, still sharing it today. It's embarrassing that I said that. Uh, but, you know, I hadn't experienced Jesus as tangibly as she had. And, and I know, I thought to myself, Wow, on the one hand, I want to experience that too. And to experience that, I will be a more complete Christian. I'll feel more fulfilled spiritually. And yet, because I haven't, I'm skeptical. I won't believe, and I'm not, I don't know if it's really that good. Isn't that fascinating? Some, some of you know this tension. It may even describe you this morning as it does Thomas. Stick with me. I think God has something to say to you this morning also. But first, our final character, those who trust Jesus but experience him tangibly little. That might be the rest of us. We see at the end of verse 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now technically, Jesus is speaking about all of us. None of us here ever seen Jesus Christ in the flesh. But some of us have seen more, some have experienced more, and maybe you have. You know, we talk about it in terms of, I, I don't feel God. I don't feel God. And you know, even now it's tempting for me as the guy up here, Bible in hand, to say, you know, following Jesus isn't about feeling, it's about trusting. And you know, there's a time for that. But listen, I know what you mean. I know what you mean when in an honest moment you think, I can't remember the last time I sensed God's presence. The last time I read the Bible or heard someone at church and I thought, man, God is speaking to me. Or the last time he showed up when I needed him, like really needed him, and I didn't see him, and I don't see him. Jesus saves his final word here, his most unfiltered encouragement for you. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I want to talk a little more about the potential impact that statement can have in your life but first, let me summarize this entire message in a nutshell. If you remember nothing else, remember this in a nutshell. The resurrection is your invitation to experience Jesus while also being delivered from experience. Let me say that one more time. The resurrection is your invitation to experience Jesus while also being delivered from experience. And I know what you're thinking. Thanks, Yoda, for that Jedi mind melt. All right, um, I get it. So I want to break down the statement a little because it is so important. The resurrection is your opportunity. It's your invitation to experience Jesus. The resurrection and Jesus' ascension into heaven contain this often untalked about truth. And it's a blessing. What's that blessing? That you and I do not have to pay for airfare to Palestine. You and I don't have to pay for airfare to Palestine. Uh, years being a pastor uh, one of the questions I got, particularly around this time of year, was why did Jesus have to rise from the day? Why, no, why did he have to go up to heaven? Why couldn't he stay resurrected around here? You know, he could have helped us quite a bit. <laughs> he could have proved that he was real. We could have touched him like Thomas did. You know, we could have asked him our deepest, darkest questions, all, all those things. But if you think about it, Jesus never left Palestine. He never left. He never left to travel around to find other potential followers around the globe. 
He didn't go to other countries and visit them on a tour. He's not the Pope, all right? To, to encounter Jesus, to ask him our questions, to lay our deepest fears and our deepest longings at his feet, we would all have to make a pilgrimage to Palestine to do that. Maybe once a year, once a month, once a week. Could you imagine building that into your personal budget? It would be pretty challenging, right? I can't even afford a, a flight. I can barely afford a flight to Tampa St. Pete, right? And, and even then, like, I have this now new travel maxim, which is if Allegiant doesn't fly there, I can't afford to travel. <laughs> All right, that's just a reality for me now. And friends, Allegiant is not flying to Jerusalem or Tel Aviv anytime soon. Although if they did, it would really probably improve my prayer life, right? 12 hours on an Allegiant flight to Jerusalem. I'm like, gosh, help me, Lord. Sorry if you work for Jerusalem or Allegiant. Love you. Um, Thankfully, though, Jesus arose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And in doing so, he sent the Holy Spirit in his place to teach us and to remind us of everything he said, all the answers to his questions, all the things we need to hear. And so we can experience Jesus anytime, any place. Isn't that wonderful? What a blessing. And yet, because of the promises of the gospel, we can be delivered from experience. What do I mean? Well, one of the heroes of uh, my faith is Martin Luther. Martin Luther once said that grace is the experience of being delivered from experience. Say it Grace is the experience of being delivered from experience. Now, Martin Luther wasn't just trying to kind of sound smart and academic in saying that. But before Luther understood grace... That God doesn't just love us, he makes that love active through an undeserved gift expressed in Jesus Christ who came to forever reconcile us to God and forever forgive our sin. Before Luther got this idea that, that forgiveness was forever and forever free, his experience was that anytime you sinned, you immediately had to ask for forgiveness or you fell out of favor with God. So the story goes that Luther would go to confession to a priest. He'd confess his sins. The priest would pronounce forgiveness, give him a little bit of penance, and then Luther would walk home. But on the way home, Luther would have an impure thought go through his head. Maybe it was a grudge that he held against someone else. Maybe it was his desire for comfort to have a little more money in life. I don't know what it was, but there he is. He's, he's walking home, and he has that impure thought. And what do you think he did? He did a U-turn back to the confessional. He would go back, ask for forgiveness, come back. Then he'd have an impure thought, go back to confession. Well, this would happen over and over in his life because Luther lived according to his experience. Just his experience. His experience of religion was God loves me until I mess up. Then I'm not loved. I certainly don't feel loved. I don't feel accepted until I make it right again. I can relate to this. You know, prior to understanding grace myself, I used, to, I used to think in order to be loved, I had to bring something to the table. Like I had to give something to get love back. Now, I love to laugh. I love to make others laugh. Uh, I like to laugh with others. I just like laughing. And so when I went into high school, I went to this Catholic school and didn't know hardly anyone going there, but I found the funniest people in school I could find. I wanted to hang out with that group of people. All right, so in my case, that was the water polo team. 
you have to have a good sense of humor if, as a man, you shave your legs constantly. So these guys had a good sense of humor. I hung out with them. It was wonderful. One day I discovered something, though. When I couldn't make my friends laugh, they would sort of kick me to the relational curb. They would sort of arm's length and vice versa. And when this happened, it sent me into a tailspin. Why? Because I lived according to my experience. I couldn't offer anything, bring anything to the table in the relationship. So I experienced rejection. Therefore, I'm not valuable. Until I met Jesus. The only thing I can bring to the table for Jesus is my sin and rebellion. He brings to the table forever forgiveness and eternal life. What a deal. It's incredible. You won't experience this from the world, friends. Think about it. You give and give, and it works great until you receive nothing in return. You love well, and others love you back until they don't. And what does it do? It crushes you, right? This is true also for followers of Jesus who have these tangible experiences, and they're wonderful, the goosebump moments, the big reveals, God connecting all the dots in your life until you have to share it with other people. And those are wonderful But if you depend on them, they're no longer wonderful when those moments stop. It actually can be pretty soul-crushing. A wise man once said, those who live by the sword die by the sword. That man was Jesus, just as uh, FYI, (laughs) he said that. But it makes a ton of sense, right? The sword works to win battles until it doesn't, and then it kills, right? If you live by your experience, if you define yourself, find your value, if you live by experience, you'll die by experience. It'll crush you. Grace is the truth that Jesus loves you no matter what you do, no matter what you think, no matter what you feel. And this truth breaks the soul-crushing seesaw of going up and going down according to your experience, right? According to your circumstances, according to what you feel on the inside. I think this is what Jesus is trying to teach Thomas. On the one hand, the resurrected Christ invites Thomas to experience him more tangibly, doesn't he? Put your finger here. See my hands. Not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas's faith is genuine. My Lord and my God. And yet, yet, notice, Jesus offers a little parting challenge to Thomas. It's a bit of a warning. Have you believed, Thomas? Because you have seen me, that you have experienced me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. What's Jesus doing here? He's acknowledging that Thomas's faith is genuine, and yet, yet, there's a danger in living out our faith because we once saw Jesus do something miraculous, or we once connected him in worship in a way that can't simply be denied, and that sort of becomes our faith. We rely on it for everything. This describes you at all. I think Jesus would say to you, pursue those experiences without depending on them. Pursue them without depending on them. I'm not anti-experience. Don't hear me wrong. The Bible encourages us to pray for healing, to desire spiritual gifts, to be further filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet not to depend on those experiences. Because what if they stop? It's going to be soul-crushing for you. Jesus' never-ending, unseen love is more true, more real than any tangible experience ever will be. 
And so yes, the resurrection is your invitation to experience Jesus while also being delivered from experience. You're delivered from experience being that thermometer, being that gauge, defining who you are and how valuable you are to God because of what you feel. If, however, you've identified with those in our story, like the disciples, who've experienced Jesus more tangibly, like that's you, what what might be your takeaway here? What might God want to say to you through our story this morning? I think it might be this, to treat and speak about such experiences like the gifts that they are. Treat and speak about such experiences like the gifts that they are. What might God be saying to you? How did you receive that gift? How did you get that peace in your life that seems to be so tangible? How, what is it about, what have you done to experience God so like powerfully in your life? If you relate to the disciples, somebody's asked you a question like this. If we've seen you raise your hands in worship or you've given a testimony, we've asked, how did it happen? Tell me your secret. If this is you, please, please do not respond. Well, I read about this book, this book about releasing your gifts for the kingdom, or I learned this prayer method or something like that. Because if you tell the rest of us something like that, we will think that all we have to do is earn or attain this experience also. If we just work hard enough, if we just go to church enough. And worse, if you believe that somehow you've earned or attained these experiences, maybe because of of your maturity or because of how well you know the Bible, it can have the worst possible effect on a church. It can make the rest of us feel like second-class Christians. Have you ever felt like that? I've been in a number of churches, and a couple of them, yeah, I felt that way. Like, almost like a second-class Christian. Sometimes people do that based on, like, social status. Sometimes it's economic status. Literally, what you drive to church, I feel I'm more blessed by God. Every once in a while, it's because of spiritual status. Because I've experienced Jesus more tangibly, I'm closer with God. I'm a first-class Christian. I don't think anyone here, don't hear me wrong, I don't think anyone here would ever intend to make the rest of us feel like a second-class Christian. But when we talk about our experiences as if we've somehow earned them, that's what we're going to feel like. Like We are less than. Listen, we, we need to hear about your experiences, but we need to hear about them as absolute gifts from God. When I trusted my life to Jesus, I was 16 years old. And something unusual happened other than the fact that I trusted Jesus, which most of my friends would have been like, what? What is this? Right? But also something else unusual happened. I bought a Bible, and I, had a, I got a notebook, and I started outlining the entire book of Mark and then the entire book of Romans. And in that outline, I started talking about how this applied to my life. No one ever shared with me, here's what you're supposed to do when reading the Bible or anything like that. I just got a notebook, just had a Bible. I'm outlining these things. And let me also say, I'm not one of those, I wasn't one of those studious nerds growing up. I was the opposite, sadly. I wish I was more so. I was a student by name only. I skipped a number of Algebra two classes and I won't tell you what I was doing during them. It wasn't good. But when I trusted Jesus, it was amazing. 16 year old. I was outlining the Bible. What I think the Holy Spirit was doing in this way I wasn't aware of at the time was giving me the gift of teaching, a spiritual gift of teaching. And one of the cool things now is I can share this, even share this with you guys without feeling prideful. 
Because I know I wasn't one of those preacher teachers who was previously church going, you know, Bible memorizing, book learning, my daddy was a preacher kind of guys. Nope. It was totally, totally a gift. And I'm hopeful that others can rejoice with me, with me as I share that while also not feeling less than because they didn't have the same experience. Does that make sense? Yeah. Finally, what is the takeaway for those who trust Jesus but have experienced him tangibly little? I believe it's this, friends. Your faith is enough. Your faith is enough. When you trust the promises of Jesus, even though you don't feel their full weight, that is enough to Jesus. When you trust that he forgives you, even though sometimes you don't really feel forgiven, that is enough. When you trust that God's gonna provide for all your needs, even though there's barely any breathing room in your bank account, that's enough. When you keep going in the midst of hardship because Jesus kept going, even though you don't see any light at the end of the tunnel, and that's enough for Jesus. Friends, it does not, it's not the quantity of your faith that matters. It's the quality of your Savior. That's what matters. And so your Savior says to you, blessed are you, blessed are you who have not seen, and yet you believe. You may have missed a small detail in our passage. In fact, I only caught it this week myself. You know that John never tells us that Thomas did in fact put his finger on Jesus' wounds or touch his side. In fact, the context suggests otherwise. After inviting Thomas towards that, he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. From what we know, Thomas answers Jesus, not by reaching out his hand, but with a simple confession of faith. In that moment for Thomas, Jesus was enough. Not a tangible experience of Jesus, but just Jesus himself. And friends, Jesus is still enough today, and so is your faith, fragile and small as it may be. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful for that truth, that you love us, you accept us, we are blessed, even though we don't see, even though we may not experience. Just that simple faith is enough for you to love us and forgive us forever. For those of us who have experienced radically awesome things of God, help us talk about those things as the gifts that they are. For those of us who want more of those experiences, help us pray for them, desire them, but also remember we can't depend on them. For those of us who feel very little and sense very little of you, God, that are just inching forward, coming to church today, trying our best to believe, that's enough. That small faith is enough for you to love and accept us. Thank you, Jesus, for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.